Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. 80% of my job is communication, communicating the vision, communicating to people I'm mentoring, communicating to my manager what I want. You need to be able to communicate to actually make something happen. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I am Mike Veldhuis, business owner of the Dutch IT company Nalta and podcaster from the Netherlands. I just love the Women in Tech podcast by the talented Esprit Devora. It's made with passion and creativity. It gives insight into the world of inspirational women from all around the globe. But most of all, it's fun to listen to. Esprit Devora truly is the girl who gets it done. To connect and collaborate with extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created GetPodcastListeners.com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out GetPodcastListeners.com. That's GetPodcastListeners.com. Hey, I'm just getting a smog check on my car, so I'm taking a walk talking to you guys from there. Maybe I should stop walking so you don't hear the clicking of my boots, so I'll, like pick a little tree to stop in. I think today's personal spot is going to be about how important it is that we elevate those around us. I think it's really easy to get maybe threatened or nervous and the more, I don't know, maybe this is very like world healy of me, but I just believe the more that we're kind to those around us and we lead from compassion and as Oprah says, like ask ourselves, what happened to you rather than making judgments and assumptions. Like it just leads to more empowering relationships where we could all really thrive together. And I understand that as a society, we don't operate that way. But if like, if a few of us start making the choices and leading by example, then so many other people will follow suit, I hope. And I know I take the hard path and I lead that way to, to make sure that I'm not throwing people under a bus. I'm doing all that I can to elevate people. And it's hard. It's really hard. Sometimes, you know, when I do work, I will not sometimes like I'll do work. And of course, like it would be nice to like take the credit, but I feel like that's not teammanship to just like take credit of everything. It's like, why not? Like, why not support one another? Why does the credit have to go into my name? Can't it be on behalf of all of us as a team? And 
So, and I, and I'm not speaking particularly to our own podcast production. I'm just speaking in general, whenever I'm in like group work situations or whether it be, um, working with a client or whatever it's been during my career, I do my best to really like elevate the people around me. And I hope I'm doing that well. And it's tough. Like group dynamics are tough. We all have different personalities. At the end of the day, I just want to lead a life that is driven by integrity, really authentic to myself. And um, I hope that you do too, because I think the more of us that do that, again, I think we're setting an example for others. Anyway, enjoy the episode. Women in Tech podcast featuring women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest coming at us from New York. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Go ahead and kick things off. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Maheen Suhail. I'm a lead product designer. I work at Facebook on artificial intelligence and have some history working in augmented reality, virtual reality. Before that, I worked in video games industry. And I also run my own podcast called Fake ID, uh, which is a podcast about identity. Amazing. And we are going to link to Fake ID in the show notes. So be sure to check out Fake ID. Before we even get into your story and how you became this incredible woman in tech, can you tell us a little bit about the origin story for your podcast? Let's get into it like immediately so people can start cyber stalking you. Yeah, let's do it. So the origin story is essentially I have been going through an identity struggle my entire life. Being a first generation kid who like grew up in Pakistan and then grew up in Canada and then moved to the United States. There have been many situations where people have really doubted my identity. Like I am a Pakistani girl who like loves Japan because I learned Japanese and people in my community view that as odd, or I'm a Muslim girl who doesn't look Muslim, but I hold faith very, very close to my heart. And people in both communities judge me for that. And I think that is a really nuanced way of looking at identity. Identity is more complex and beautiful. It's Every decision you've ever made in life, all your interests, all of those things make up who you are. It's not just the color of your skin or where you were born. So I wanted to make something that if I had this resource as a girl growing up and even well into my 20s, if I had this podcast, it would give me the confidence to actually understand myself better so I can show up more confidently to the world. So each episode features a story of me relating to the story of the guest that's come on and people share really vulnerable things about their identity struggles. Each episode, it ends with a lesson that enables the audience to reflect on their own identity and hopefully, you know, as a result, be stronger within their own sense of self. I love this. And people who would like to apply to be a guest on your show, where should they connect with you? Yeah. So you can go to fakeidpodcast.com and yeah, just reach out to me on the, on the website or fake ID podcast on Instagram. Either is good. I love it. Yay. And we'll celebrate fake ID podcast on our women in tech social as well. I think it is so cool to be talking to another podcaster. <laughs> uh, I love that. Thank you so much. I yeah, mean, you got it. I think what you, what you do, even with this podcast, empowering women and just like sharing their stories. It's really just like podcasting is all about sharing stories, right? Mm-hmm. What make it so powerful. And so even though I'm so new to the podcasting space, I think it, it's like, there's no question that it is a very strong storytelling medium that maybe the world is recently getting to focus on 
which is shocking to me because audio is like a century, not, not, not centuries, but kind of like a yeah. really old yeah. format. I actually appreciate you saying this. And this might be the, the more boring bit of our conversation, but I was thinking about this yesterday that I, somebody said, man, now it's not new to start a podcast. Everybody wants to have a podcast. I'm like, it is true. When I started podcasting in 2013, it was not a thing. It was not cool. It was not a thing. It started to become more picked up in the tech world toward the end of 2014. And then by 2015, with uh, with big podcasts like Serial, it became more mainstream. And now it's like the new blog. And to go to watch it go from when um, Alex Bloomberg from Gimlet yeah. Media um, pitching Chris Saka like his podcast network and Chris Saka is like podcasting and to have that whole story captured on how skeptical Chris Saka was about podcasting in 2014 to jump to 2021 where everyone's like I gotta have a podcast I gotta have a podcast I'm like right yo podcasting was there in 2014 too where yeah. were you then <laughs> yeah so I've done a lot of work in the past on like future formats I'm more of a futurist like AR VR so I worked a lot on 360 videos and photos and things like that. So coming from like that lens, it really is shocking to me that like audio only got picked up recently and you've been in this space for like a long time and you saw the rise happen. And I think it's because like a lot of, if, if I look into the future, like the future of audio is also just becoming more promising, right? Like with the pandemic, people don't want to be on video calls all the time. So like clubhouse became a thing. Mm -hmm. And normally I don't think it would have been picked up honestly like two years ago when the pandemic wasn't a thing and then with airpods coming out where people are all the time connected mm. to headphones being able to listen to something audio related is like much easier uh, when you're in line for coffee like you can send a text or you can listen to something but you can't watch something and then even in the future of like uh, ar glasses um, a lot of them will have built-in headphones and so with built-in headphones the ability to be able to just listen to things on the time and you will be using audio to interact with the world around you. There's no buttons. There's no, probably no screens in the mm -hmm. first many years. So the future is audio just because it's the most seamless way to like integrate into our world rather than like screens all the time. So I can understand why it's happening, but it is shocking because it's such an old format. Completely. Uh, and by the way, for everybody, just in case AR is augmented reality, just don't yes. want to leave anybody out. <laughs> Yeah, um, let's forget. And we'll get into that more in just a second. But yeah, I totally agree with you that I think that technology is what catapulted it. There were certain indicators early on, like car companies putting podcasts easily uh, with ease of access to listen to in the cars, Apple, iPhone, putting the podcast as a default app on the phone. In 2014, Google didn't have a podcast player, <laughs> you know? So like there were a lot of accessibility issues of what held back the art form of audio. Um, and, and to hear your future thinking about augmented reality, that is a world I am not a part of. So that is just crazy and makes so much sense. I'm picturing these right. sci-fi movies and right like, and it's not that, on. That, yeah i mean it's it's also not that far like museums have tried audio tours for like a long time right and that's just going to become easier and easier that's like a form of a podcast like imagine having a podcast and you're like walking through a museum and the podcast is about that museum and it just turns into an experience like all of these realities are actually like so much closer 
I think what is really interesting about podcasting, though, even though it's maybe it's been around for many years, is I don't think we've explored the full depth of what it can be. So mm. one of the other reasons I actually started a podcast was being like this person who loves tech. I wanted to actually like I'm a filmmaker before I was a product designer and like film, I understand inside out, but audio, I did not understand inside out. And I was just so curious, like, can I apply my tools of filmmaking to audio? Like, can I create a soundscape of like, Mm. if someone's talking about a story, can I make the sound effects come to life? So like in fake ID, I spend like personally, like 25 hours a week editing, like editing and like scripting and doing the whole, like I put a lot of effort into that podcast and I don't care if it doesn't become famous because I'm just learning so much about audio, like how to make it come to life with sound Mm -hmm. effects and like how to invigorate a feeling for the listener that I think while I was exploring this, uh, there is so much that tech can solve as problems in this space that we haven't yet. Like so many creator tools can be built for this space that maybe now people are starting to think about it. And you probably have way more insight into like what's out there than I do. <laughs> I I just think it's so cool how you prioritize the art form over essentially becoming Joe Rogan. <laughs> I think <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, since we're on the topic, in your opinion, is it too late to get into podcasting? You know, I have my own point of views on this, but what would you share? Is it too late, too saturated? I think it depends on what your intention for getting in is. If your intention is to like come in and start a business and make a lot of money, it might be hard. And I'm only sharing that as someone who has just recently started. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, I have to like learn marketing strategies and like learn how to grow my audience. And I've never done that before, but it's also exciting because like, I'm happy to like learn that. But if you're really in it to tell stories, which is what I'm in it for, if the marketing fails, it's not that crazy to me because I'll give some context that might sound like I'm boasting about myself, but I have done a lot of- Boast away, please. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I talk at many, many conferences. And so like when it comes to having a public image, like that's something that I already have. So- when I started my podcast, naturally one would assume that, oh, I would want like 10,000 downloads per episode and that will make me happy. But to be honest, even just getting like 300 people or 200 people listening to like my first few episodes and then messaging me about how much it meant to them and how much they related to it. Like even three people, if three people messaged me about it and said like it changed their perspective on something, the fact that they took out 20 minutes of their day to listen to my podcast it was a completely different feeling compared to like going on a stage and talking about, I don't know, VR. And I don't know why that feeling is so different, probably because I'm putting in so much more hard work and probably because the podcast is such a vulnerable reflection of who I am that it is really like, if you listen to the podcast, you'll know me inside out. And it's like really risky for me to do that. But I think if you're in it for that journey, rather than like the output of making money, that's just my personal opinion, you will, it is never too late, like definitely enter, definitely share your story, get people to share the story, build out your vision. uh, And maybe don't stress out too much about like where this will take you, because guaranteed you'll get something out of that journey, whether that's many, many followers or getting your truth out there, things like that. 
And by the way, VR, virtual reality. And again, yes. we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna dive we're gonna dive into all of this. But I think that was really great because I do get so many people asking me. Like speaking of Pakistan, I'm so inspired. We just had um, someone on the show named Bizma. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. And um, she started a podcast um, to champion women in tech in Pakistan because she was inspired by the Women in Tech podcast. I'm like, that That's is, she's awesome. like, I've been listening for years. I wanted a medium to like continue to champion women's stories here. And so I just think utilizing podcasting in a way of service is so cool. Yeah. And you'll always, with your idea, reach an audience that maybe needed something like that, right? Like, so for example, I'm a woman in tech from Pakistan and I never thought of that. And, you know, Bisma or Bisma, whatever her name is, um, she decided to uh, start that. Uh, and I think that's awesome because there is definitely a need for that. Like just hearing you say that, I'm like, oh my God, yes. Yeah. Like that's going to be really useful for so many women with that background. This is totally my selfish point of view but i think podcasting should be used to champion and elevate people <laughs> obviously i'm pretty biased because it's what every single one of my podcasts is about speaking of you know what maheen i would love to have you on we're uh, about to launch a new show called brag because you were saying not to boast about myself but no we should be boasting about ourselves <laughs> so i'm launching the brag podcast it stands for business women reaching awe-inspiring greatness and uh i'm i'm using uh, Fireside to power the podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with Fireside app. No. Um, it's Mark Cuban's new new company. It's supposed to dominate the podcasting world. And I would love for you to be a guest on Brag. And the, literally the whole episode is you just bragging about yourself. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so uncomfortable. <laughs> exactly. We need to get comfortable sharing our achievements. So yes. And there's a couple introductions that. I'd love to make for, uh, for you too. Um, there's one podcast. I think it's called like a thousand megahertz or something I'm, I'm butchering the name he's all about sound design so i would love to like to connect you both i think you'd both love knowing one another and there's yeah. um a youtuber who's friends with casey neistat and his name is like spacing me right now he's from south africa but he does incredible things with sound design. Like Ooh. he he'll like hit watermelons or like scoop it out and he'll Ooh, I love capture that. right. So I'll send you his stuff too. And then one other thing that's on my mind. So I got to do these intros when after the the interviews Thank done. You. I'm so excited about you. Um, I appreciate that. So getting into your story, like speaking of boasting, when did you first become attracted to the world of technology? I think the very early beginnings were probably just like in Pakistan, um, realizing how technology connected me to the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, I was probably like 12 years old and like using those like internet scratch cards to like connect to the internet, like dial into the internet and like use Orchid and like all these other like old social media websites and, and like playing like Sims all the time. Um, those are really the beginnings of you realizing like, it's, it's bizarre, like how much I knew about the Western world, just because I was so deeply connected to it while I was in Pakistan, because right. I was talking to people all the time, things like that. So that's probably like the early beginnings. And then 
Um, and then I got really into filmmaking uh, when I turned 16. I was making films, documentaries. I made some documentaries in high school about the struggles that ESL children were facing. ESL is English second language learner students in high schools, in Canadian high schools. And that documentary, like when I played it for the teachers, it like really moved them. And there were there was like so many tears in the room. And so to realize that a piece of technology can like move people in a way where it can teach them a lesson was really like the beginning of technology, which led to the rest of my career in what I do today. What I love about what you said about the world of filmmaking is sometimes the tech world gets compared to the world, the filmmaking world, which is interesting. So for you to be involved in both industries, I don't know, I just, it seems like you'd be in hyperdrive to find solutions to things and find your community in order to propel yourself. Does that, does that make sense? Like, I feel like we experience the same kind of restrictions and blocks in both industries. Right. I can actually share, share like a story about like how I got from filmmaking to like virtual reality. Yeah, um, please. So essentially, like I wanted to be a visual effects artist. Like I just wanted to be, when I would go watch movies in the theaters and a car would blow up and there'd be like fire everywhere. Like I wanted to be the person who like made that. I just thought it was the coolest thing. And so that was really where I was headed. And I didn't go there um, because what happened was I took a few classes and learned about something called user experience design, which was essentially most people listening to podcasts might be aware of what user experience design is, but it's essentially ensuring that you are keeping the user in mind while building a product and designing for their needs rather than just like a business goal. And I just thought it was such a great combination of a lot of my skills. So I did an internship and one internship led to another and eventually like Facebook hired me. And when after a couple of internship experiences, when Facebook hired me, they put me in the virtual reality team. And this was like years ago, like six years ago. And back then, VR was a very, very new space. Mm -hmm. So not a lot of people had skills or understandings of like what right. virtual reality will be. I mean, wasn't that right when Snapchat was coming out with the what was it the glasses or something like that was like this Snapchat was way before era. really this was before, like before even that yeah I think it was before this was like virtual reality has been around since like the 80s actually as I had said but in terms of like making it consumer friendly design had never been applied and so when I joined in like 2015 I think maybe Snapchat was was doing that at that time I'm not sure but when they put me in the VR team, I sent the recruiter an email saying, hey, what are you doing? Like, I don't know anything about virtual reality. I've never even touched a headset. Like, why are you putting me in this? <laughs> and they were like, no, we know what we're doing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, there goes my dream job. I'm, And when you're an intern in these big companies, yeah. you're competing with like 30,000 other kids that have been hired from like the biggest, pr most prestigious schools, right? And I was like this girl from Pakistan who went to like, an average university, like no way am I going to make it in the VR team with no knowledge of what it is. <laughs> but when I joined, I had this realization that my superpowers in filmmaking and some of those courses I'd taken in architecture and university actually put me in a very unique position to be really great at this field. Mm -hmm. Because yes, I didn't know how to like code in Unity, which is the program you need to, at that time, to build or design in VR. What I do know is filmmaking and Adobe Premiere and this, these film editing tools. And I know how to do 3D in these tools. Right. So 
what if I could leverage my strengths as a person who loves video games and a person who uh, loves architecture and a person who has a filmmaking background and nail this internship? And I nailed it because I used my strengths to succeed in a space that was unfamiliar to me. And I wrote a Medium article about it and stuff. And it was really useful at that time for people who didn't have the technical experience to get into VR. Now they might not need it anymore because easier tools exist. Um, so I'm going to catch you on the and stuff. Can you please tell us where to find the Medium article? And we'll link to it in the show notes as well. Yeah, I think if you just search Medium Mahin Sohail, it should pop up. <laughs> I love that. I think all those little moments are moments there where being boastful adds value to everyone else. And so, yeah, I think I'm excited for everybody to be able to understand that your Medium post exists. And so, and Medium, just in case, is a blogging platform. But <laughs> maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm getting too foundational. But uh, I just want to make sure I'm never leaving anyone out. So, okay. So then, how long did it take for you to become comfortable in your role at Facebook? So I came back full time and then it took me like three years probably to become really comfortable. Stop. Um, three years. Yeah. Or maybe two and a half, two and a half probably. It's and a the long reason time so though. Long, yeah. Go. It's a long time, but anyone who works in tech or at least like big companies, there's so much imposter syndrome, right? You feel like you don't belong. Again, like I was this girl from Pakistan who like wrote a hate letter to like Facebook when I was in grade eight because they blocked me and like never, ever in my life thought I would end up working in that company, you know, like no way. So obviously, like as a person of color, you feel like you don't belong. And that is wrong. And people have said things to me like people when I first got hired full time, a friend said to me, oh, you know, you got hired because you're a a female person of color. That's why they hired you. Hearing these things at that time when you're a kid, you're like, oh, maybe. And then you go to these companies and all they do is talk about uh, diversity, diversity hiring. And it may, you start believing that truth. It took me like two years to actually be like, no, like I actually bring a lot of value to this company and I am an asset to them. And whatever those people were saying, they're just saying it because of like, personal insecurities or whatever. And also just by repetitively producing great experiences, by switching multiple teams, by seeing my own worth and recognizing my own strengths, like that's a process. And when you're able to identify all that and then eventually realize that your experiences can teach and help grow other people, that's when you know that like, okay, I've, I belong here and um, I need to make other people also feel that they belong, not just here, like it's not like, oh, you belong at Facebook, but you belong in the experiences that you bring to the table um, and you're great at what you do. And, and I think a lot of women actually have a really hard time recognizing that. So I know you mentor a lot of people and, and that's what, why mentorship is so useful. I, I'm I'm just elated that you shared that right now. I think that that is so relatable to so many people. And I'm hoping that everyone listening will take that share and be like, yeah, I'm pretty badass. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's why this podcast exists to show you how badass you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm just so appreciative. And that actually wasn't the answer that I was expecting. I don't know. I thought it was going to be something entirely different. So to hear that it usually in 
the the female community globally and unfortunately centers around the I'm not enough. It just comes up all the time in so many different ways. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not enough. Like it's wild to me in all the different angles that we all feel that that we're not enough. Um, and being presented, walking into a corporate setting when diversity or or the branding of diversity is being championed and that creating an identity confusion as well. I haven't worked for a corporate company, so I could only imagine. The stories that I've heard are like, I'm the only person of color and then they put in the company, yet they put me on in the front of the team photo to be like, see, look, we're diverse. Oh, wow. I've heard that, that story sucks. a bunch. Yeah. That, that happens a I've lot. Thankfully, never faced that. I think for me, it's just like the companies brand themselves so much. And I'm like, we're the most diverse company. And I'm like, I'm not just a diversity hire. Like, you need to tone it down a bit. But I think once I got that narrative out of my head, like, it feels fine. Um, and I, I should recognize also like a lot of it is inside my own head up till a certain point. I feel like Facebook recognized my talents really well in the sense that I got the promotions I wanted and I got the things I needed in my career and the mentorship I needed to keep growing. And so, but I would say that a lot of those things would not have happened if I hadn't done things a certain way. The reason I got the promotions is obviously because the talent was there, but I was also very bold. Like I said it very clearly in the first meeting with my manager, like, this is what I want in a year and you're going to help me get there. And a lot of women don't say that, like, right. Like my roommate the other day, she was like trying to go for promotion. She was like, oh, I I shouldn't go. I shouldn't go for promotion. And I was like, why? Like you deserve it. And she got it. Like, yeah. And if she hadn't, if she had gone in her own way, she would have, wouldn't have gotten it. So it takes a good balance of like being bold and also the company to to recognize things like they both have to be in balance for you to get what you are out to get i think i love that you say that about the promotion so my i have a friend and she just uh got offered a job and i said how do you feel about the salary that you were offered she's like i'm really excited about the job But um, honestly, somebody taught me this. They said, when you have an opportunity, think about is your energy expanding or does it feel constricted? And she said, it felt constricted because I really wanted X amount and I got offered lower than what I wanted. I said, so let them know that. And she's like, I can't right. do that. I can't risk not getting the job. And then the I'm not worth it, the the whole thing, right? Anyway, um, we had a few, few hour conversations, which mm-hmm. I was happy to do. Like, I'm so honored that I get to be part of her journey. The night before the call, she's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to accept that I'm not in the place in my life where, where I can do mm-hmm. this, but I'm going to accept that it's a place that I want to get to. Next day, she has the call, messages me. I asked for it and I got it and I'm hired. And I'm like, (laughs) yo, first of all, so scary, so proud of her, so courageous. And imagine, I was telling her, imagine if you didn't ask, you wouldn't have had it. Like it was just a matter of asking or not asking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so happy for her. That's incredible. And I'm so happy that you also like pushed her to do that. I think to me, it's like fascinating that a lot of I think a lot of men don't even have to think about this. Mm. Like they never even consider, I I had a manager who like 
when I was really young and starting up in my career, I think I said to him that I need him to like tell me that I'm doing a good job because I need that recognition in our validation that I'm on the right path. Yeah. And he said to me, why do you need that? Like, I've never needed that in my life. Like, just know you're great and like move on. And I'm like, no, I need that. Like, I can't just, but from his perspective, yeah, yeah, he just couldn't understand it. And I, I wasn't offended by that. And he was happy to do that for me. It's just that he couldn't relate. Yeah. And it just blows my mind. <laughs> like yeah. a completely different gender never has to think about this. Maybe there are men who have to yeah. think about this, but not the majority, to be honest. No, I am. Um, I I mean, not to go down this pathway, but I'm going to take it one more step is I have, um, you know, friends of mine, guys who will book a speaking engagement and just be offered, oh, we're going to pay you X, Y, Z for the speaking engagement. Didn't even ask to be paid, just offered it. And I said, in the years that I've been a speaker, not once have I just been offered. I've always Mm -hmm. had to not only say, here's my rate, but then I needed to like, like fight for my rate. And to hear such an opposite experience. And my friend was like, oh, you you know, you're – don't something like don't think small minded or something. He was trying to be positive. It wasn't a negative thing. But it's because like, that's how out of touch, like, they just don't understand that it's entirely different. It's just again, it's relatability. It's like if you've never had to have that challenge before, if you've never been presented limiting conversations, um, why would you have an appreciation for, for those types of challenges? Right? Yeah, I completely agree. I think I also would apply that to women as well, because I have had situations where you hear about the glass ceiling, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm ashamed to say this, but I would like hear about this glass ceiling and be like, I don't think it really exists because I'm not facing it. Like I'm getting all the promotions I want. I'm like going on the right path. And then maybe like last year I felt it and I was like, whoa, oh, this is what everyone was talking about. Mm -hmm. I guess it was just like a, I felt terrible for like not believing the women who do talk about it. And I gain a lot of empathy for like, and and a lot of respect for the women who are like really senior and trying to make a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, Because from the outside, it just looks so easy. You can just climb the corporate ladder and like get to the top, but really no, you can't. Like you have to do a lot of things to get there. I think there is a responsibility we should take as a community of women. I was telling my friend this. I pretty much said, I didn't say it in this way. I think I said it it more with a more gentle approach, but I pretty much said, listen, if you don't ask for what you want, you're not allowed to be resentful that you don't have what you want six months from now. Because you created that reality. And I do think that we need to show up for ourselves uh, as a culture and like ask for what we want instead of just defaulting to what we're offered or operating out of a place of fear, which we do pretty often. Even if it is societies and systematic limitations 
or even if it's not, whatever it is or isn't, we still need to do our side of the work and show up for ourselves. And I don't think that's happening as much because as a culture, I think there's a lot of blame going, we're just not going to get this. And then I want to say, well, did you try asking? Did you, did you go up to bat for yourself? Right, right, right. And when you fell, did you like get up again? This Mm -hmm. actually reminds me, this was probably a life-changing quote for me because um, I was making a documentary about women in Italian design. I was living in Italy at that time. And I went around like interviewing some architects and it was all very like sad interviews. Like it was supposed to be a very inspiring documentary that turned into like a as a woman in architect, you can't have kids because like, then you can't balance it. And I was just like, oh man, I don't know if I want to be putting this message out. And then I interviewed the founder of Moleskin, which is mm. that really designer notebook Notebooks, with the yes. leather. <laughs> I just started um, writing my new one yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I love Moleskin. Um, and so the founder, she's a female, her name's Maria. And she said, women need to dream big dreams. She's like, what I've noticed is that people come into the room, women come into the room and they come in with small dreams, small things that they think they can do. But if they dream, dreamt bigger, bigger than they can imagine, then they can do big things. Mm-hmm. And I, and I know it sounds really simple. Like it's probably not that clear cut, but like I actually agreed with her in some extent because I mean, she's someone with so much, so many years of experience and, and who started so many years ago in this space and probably saw a lot of women holding themselves back. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I, I, I've really taken that to heart in my life as well. Yeah. Dream big, believe there's enough for everyone, come from a place of abundance and do your best to empower and elevate those around you, not to stomp on them or run them over. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. that. I think you're someone who probably does that a lot. Um, I was very inspired the other day when I like, I don't know, you were like having a full on conversation with me on Twitter in the middle of the night. And I don't know, I feel like most people in your position who like have so much influence or talking to so many people have so much going on, have honestly like made a name for themselves won't be talking to random people on Twitter in the middle of the night, maybe even like not even in, not <laughs> even, so even like, I, I had a lot of fun too, but like, I think a lot of w- people wouldn't even be open to that. Like they'd be like, oh, whatever, like some random person reaching out to me, like whatever, you know, or like they're too busy. And I was very shocked when we had that conversation and just, it told me so much about you. So yeah. I just wanted to, I think I told you that night as well, but I just wanted to reiterate that, that I think that's so amazing about you. Oh, I think I shared with you like some random stuff that like, I don't know, was it? I like some random stuff I was into. Like we're it, talking about like self care. <laughs> yeah, like some, like my veggie drink or something. I remember. Yeah. Like oh my gosh. I just I I think was I telling you about that athletic greens vitamin D? Is that what I was talking about? Because it's like my new superpower thing. I think so. I'm not I sure. Know. I think you told me about some other things, and then I talked talked about laser, and then. Oh, yeah. And then I was Googling that. It was just, it was like a girl chat. We were having a straight up girl chat and you were packing for New York where you just moved to. So what inspired the move to New York and how's it going? It's interesting. It's one of those decisions that I have no idea why I made it, but I'm excited for it. (laughs) Back when I decided to move here, it was before the pandemic. um, I was just going so deep into work. You decided to move to New York before the pandemic. 
Yeah. And then the pandemic oh, wow. hit. And then I was like, damn it, I can't do it. Um, but the decision at that time was, uh, I was thinking a lot about identity. I had not made the podcast yet. And work was my identity. People knew me as Mahin Suhail, the VR product designer, because I would go on these stages and talk about virtual reality. And I love public speaking. I do love virtual reality, but I wasn't necessarily excited about the message I was putting out there. Like I wanted to talk about something else. And so to figure out my big dream and what I want to enable in this world, I felt like I needed to take a step back from work and like try a couple of new experiments outside of work to just really learn about what right. is out there. And I felt that in Silicon Valley, like the culture is so much around startups, investing and like big tech companies and like career ladders. And, and I feel like I've, I know how that works. And if I wanted to like pursue that for a lifelong, I could, and I am doing that. But I felt when I visited New York, everyone had a side hustle and everyone was like so much more into their side hustle than their main job. And not that I want to devalue the main job because I really love what I do, but I also really love the hustle culture of New York in the sense that you don't have to like sacrifice one or the other, but you can like make both work. And I felt that most people I personally knew in Silicon Valley just didn't bring that. Mm. So I couldn't be inspired or be motivated to do it myself. I've always felt like, I don't know, I just, it was odd that I was like working late into the night on like my Japan travel guide videos or like my <laughs> podcast or whatever. And yeah, so I moved here really just to see if the city could enable that motivation a bit more for me and if I could meet more like-minded people. You wanted to thrive at your job as well as in your creative life. You wanted to make sure that both of them were very much elevated. That's cool. New York is definitely the city for creativity. That's super yeah. awesome. Tell us about your role. Like what, what do you work on? What fascinates you? And you call yourself a futurist. So what does that mean to you? What fascinates me about this space is, first of all, again, some context, I come from like a nonprofit background too, like when I was in filmmaking. So I like started an NGO and I was in university to like help education. And that really was like my dream job, what I wanted to do. Fast forward a few years later, I get put in the VR team at Facebook and knowing I don't belong there and being like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. But I learned something in that process, which was that these futures of virtual reality, augmented reality and artificial intelligence is actually not that far they're coming. And in fact, they're here. And it's just going to take like a few more years for virtual reality to become mainstream. This year is actually like the first year it has become mainstream with Oculus Quest, the VR headset being affordable price um, and more portable for people to use. So it's coming. It's a reality that's coming sooner rather than later. And there's a lot of ethical concerns in all of these spaces. And as a designer, I was just like hooked on this understanding that there's not enough designers in this space, but this is our reality. And if a person of color, a female uh, and a designer is not in the room thinking about these future experiences, we're kind of doomed because I realized real quick into working in these spaces that a lot of voices weren't being represented. Like I worked on um, avatars and identity in virtual reality and you know, the people making the dresses for the avatars were men. Or like as a designer, I was making decisions about what happens with names and like what kind of eyes are we going to have on the avatars? And 
And those decisions need to be made by by a designer, but also by a, a diverse set of people. So I just saw so much value in it. And so a lot of the public speeches that I did afterwards were actually about like why designing for the future is necessary and why designers need to be not afraid of virtual reality and augmented reality and artificial intelligence, but rather like enter this kind of scary world and get familiar with it because it needs you. What is one huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome and how did you overcome it? I think the biggest struggle, and there's different struggles at different times in your life. I don't think I've ever come across a struggle that I'm like, this is the biggest struggle of my career. But as you go further into your career, different struggles are going to come up that at that time are like big struggles. So when I first started, starting in VR and having no knowledge of 3D or coding, but having to learn it on the job so I could get the internship amongst those like many, many interns, Mm. that was the biggest struggle. Later down the road, um, being told that I was hired because I was like a person of color and like finding my place and recognizing my strength was a struggle. A few uh, months ago, the struggle that I felt like the glass ceiling effect Mm -hmm. of honestly, like knowing my potential, but not seeing a path for me in a certain place that wasn't recognizing those talents of mine. And now that I knew my worth, recognizing that I had to like go somewhere else that could recognize my worth. These are all challenges that were appropriate at that time, I would say, because if you really think about my last challenge, I wouldn't have gone there if I hadn't gone through the step of Mm. recognizing my strengths. Possibly like one ongoing struggle has been realizing the value of what I'm doing. Um, I find that a lot of people who start in tech at a younger age, like, like I did, Uh, And a lot of my friends, we talk about this is that, oh, like, what is the meaning of life? Like, why am I even doing this? Why am I building this app? Right. Who cares about this? Things like that. It's such a privileged space to come from to say these things because you're also getting paid the money to like Mm. be able to like be in this space. And we have so much privilege. My mom, she's a therapist. And I shared the struggle with her of like, you know, I want to do so many bigger things in life. And like, why am I doing this? Blah, blah, blah. And she basically told me to like, first of all, slow down. Like you've already done so much for someone your age and you need to recognize that. Secondly, like another way to think about work, there doesn't have to be like some mega purpose, but work itself is not meditation, but the the idea that, and you don't have to be religious to believe this, but I believe this from a religious point of view is that you were given a talent and a skill and an opportunity in life. And you need to make use of that. It's not saying, oh, I don't want to be doing this. Why am I here? It's like, no, you actually are in a very good position. And and if you recognize that and you enjoy that process, it'll be a lot more beneficial for you rather than questioning the mere existence of this. That's been like my biggest struggle is like going back and forth between not valuing something I have And if I lost it, I probably would like value it a lot more. So now I'm trying to shift that mindset, especially because in the tech world, especially in Silicon Valley, people talk about this a lot. Like, oh, like I'm so tired of people talking about tech all the time. Well, I'm so tired of going to networking events. I'm so tired. It's a very common thing. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) Uh, Been there. (laughs) Right, right. Um. What does your day-to-day look like for your role? So my day-to-day 
is a lot of meetings, <laughs> uh, mostly because I'm, I'm a design lead. So essentially I'm trying to empower other designers to, um, to execute on a vision that I'm putting out. Um, I'll, the times when I'm not in meetings, it's a lot of thinking about, um, because I work in artificial intelligence, I'm thinking about how can AI help power the world moving forward. And so I'm thinking a lot about um, envisioning a future and trying to tell that story and make it look really real. So people around Facebook can invest in the concepts that I'm building. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of storytelling, to be honest, of the future. There's one skill in my career that has been groundbreaking for me, whether that's at work or outside of work, and that is communication. Mm. Um, my mom put me into public speaking when I was really young. So I was like an 11-year-old going on stage talking about why the war on Iraq is terrible and things wow. like that, or like why sons are not the only treasure. Like that was literally one of the topics for the debate competitions. Um, wow. But that... At that time, I could not understand where that would get me. 80% of my job is communication, communicating the vision, communicating to people I'm mentoring, communicating to my manager what I want. You need to be able to communicate to actually make something happen. And to tie this to something that I shared earlier at the beginning of this interview is you need to lean into your strengths to communicate. So you don't have to be a great public speaker to communicate. You could be a really good writer. You could be a really good filmmaker. You could be a really good podcaster who can like ask the right questions. That is your form of communication. Um, so find what that strength is and use that to communicate. Because I think if there was like a secret recipe to life that I've figured out, it's probably that. <laughs> and, and I lean into that every day of my life. Easy question. What is your favorite app? software, website, what is the go-to? Most recently, uh, and I'm not just saying this because we're on a podcast, it's been Descript. I love Descript so much. And I'll tell you why I like nerd out to it low-key so much because I work in artificial intelligence and the way they're using artificial intelligence to power their experience and deliver user value is phenomenal. Like yeah. they've made a game-changer experience. So yeah, I love it. I think it's really great. So love Descript, am a customer of Descript, and this week I found something called Type Studio. Have you heard of it? I have not. 100% check it out. Seems a bit of a Descript competitor, except they're positioned differently that I think they'll both have value. I actually have a demo call with Type Studio after, so I'll cool. know exactly. But in my gut, I'm just like, I think these will both help me. Um, so either I'm an idiot and I'm going to be customers of two tools that do the same thing. But yeah, love Descript. I think it's great. And for those of you who don't know what Descript is, can you, can you share what Descript is in terms of you record a podcast, then what? what? How could you use Descript to help you in your podcasting journey? Yeah, it's essentially a power editing tool. So Traditionally, you would record audio and you would listen to the whole thing and then you would like cut it. But Descript makes it really easy to transcribe the whole audio file into text. And then like you can do magical things with it. You can quickly remove all the ums because you can see it written now and you can select all the ums at once. You can take one sentence from like the end of the podcast and copy paste it to the, it's like a word file for like editing. It's amazing. And to reiterate the fact of like they're using artificial intelligence to power the experience, they're introducing AI models that 
in my day-to-day job, I'm trying to figure out how will this help the world? And they've nailed it. Like the ability to like, and this sounds crazy and scary, but trust me in a few years, everyone will think this is normal. Like learning what that person sounds like. And if they skipped a word in their sentence, having AI generate that word in their voice. Sounds bizarre. I know. (laughs) Yo, like now we're talking about some deep fake kind of stuff. Right. Right. And I, and I work with deep fakes and like, and I've been thinking a lot about like how would deep fakes be responsibly used in this world? Because like it or not, it's a reality and it's coming towards us. And I think Descript really nailed a good use case where I'm not as freaked out if it's like one word that I skip that it's like generating for me uh, versus like a full video of me Mm. sounding, making something completely out of blue. So they're doing it in a responsible manner where they have guards and limits on what can you actually reproduce and things like that. And a deep fake is essentially a simulated version of a person saying something that's not them, but you think it's actually them because the video looks like it's that person. Like there's a video of Obama saying something, but it's not Obama. It's just totally technology. How can people connect with you? So I'm basically on every social media out there. But the best way to contact me would be just go to my website, mahinsohail.com. There you'll find Fake ID Podcast. You'll find some other experiments I've run, like Rangin Pakistan and Japan Travel Guides. Or LinkedIn, if that's what you prefer, Mahin Sohail. I'm pretty sure you'll find me. Twitter, I'm on Twitter, Mahin underscore Sohail. Can you spell your name for everybody? Yeah, M-A-H-E-E-N. And S-O-H-A-I-L is my last name. And on Instagram, which is the app I use every single day, if you really want to get my attention, <laughs> uh, my username is Mahi Macha, M-A-H-I and Macha. What is your wish and what is blocking that wish from becoming true? That is such a good question. I love that. First it's of all, mine. I just want to say that. All about the I know, talk. but it's just so powerful. <laughs> um, my wish is that I'm able to use the skills and experiences that I have to empower other people. And I need to figure out what that is because I have many experiences and many things that I wanna share, but they're almost too many. Like I have way too many hobbies. Like I haven't even talked about this, but I literally like have been to Japan so many times that I've been to like 80 cities and I know in depth about how to travel Japan and I speak the language fluently. What? And (laughs) yeah. And like, I have like maybe 200 plus hours of footage that I need to convert into videos so people can like travel to depths of Japan that they normally wouldn't go to. But anyway, like that's another thing. And then there's the podcast and then there's me as a futurist. There's so much that I want to give to the world, but I, I need to figure out what is that one thing that I can purely, I can provide as value to people. Um, So how people can help me is actually helping me by listening to my podcast right now. Fake ID is what I believe is the purest, truest form of who I am as a person. And I would just love to know if it resonates with people, Mm -hmm. what doesn't work, like be harsh critics, reach out to me, tell me what would you rather want to listen to? What would you want to listen more of? Mm. Uh, and share your thoughts because I, I, I really do think that there is something really unique and powerful there. 
But if it's not, and there's something else about me that inspires you and you'd want to learn more about that, then I lean more into that. But I'd love to just get that feedback from people. Amazing. And we'll include the Fake ID podcast in the show notes. Mahin, you have been amazing. I think that is a great ask. There's no better way to discover how you can serve than to ask the people who you want to serve <laughs> yeah. how they can best be uh, guided. Um, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech Podcast. So thank you for having me. I had so, so much fun. Oh, I had so much fun too. I feel, I seriously feel like it, it's been like a girl bonding experience. I, I know. <laughs> Would you be down to come back on? Because I feel like we could have a great conversation to help I don't know if the right word is educate, but you have such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the future of VR and AR and and it just deep faith. The whole like it's a, that's scary, I think, culturally right. for us. And right. it would be great to have a conversation about the positive so that we could have more perspectives that we're not doomed. Would you be down to have an anti doomsday combo? <laughs> I would love to. In fact, like that's majority of the work I do. So <laughs> easy stuff for me to talk about. Perfect. That. that would be great. I think that would be really helpful to the community. Thank you so much for hanging out with us to connect and collaborate with more women in tech around the world. Remember to go to the women in tech Facebook group at women in tech VIP.com. Women in tech VIP.com takes you straight there. Say hello on social at women in tech show on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram. I will see you guys. Talk to you guys. Hear you guys on the next episode. Bye. Hi. <laughs> Hi everyone, my name is Maheen Suhail and I am a lead product designer at Facebook. I work on augmented reality, virtual reality and artificial intelligence. Essentially a lot of future tech that's coming our way that Facebook is trying to um, build experiences around in the world. I'm based in New York and I am also the founder of Fake ID Podcast and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.